better. If you're saved. If you're not saved, you, you need to get saved. Because I believe it's just that close. I know this morning this sermon is going to seem like a commercial for our Wednesday evening Bible study. And so if that's the way you take it and you show up, good. That's good. Uh, but what this really is meant to do, the purpose this morning, is to be an encouragement to each and every one of you as we look to, to the Word of God, as we look primarily to the book of, of Revelation uh, and what it reveals about what our future is uh, when it comes to rejoicing in glory. See, I want us to understand this morning as we get into God's Word that what the book of Revelation presents, what it shows forth, will one day be history. It will be history. One of these days we'll be looking back on those events, not forward to those events. We will be witnessing. What we're going to look at this morning and what we're going to be looking at on Wednesday nights as we get more in depth are things that we are going to observe, things that we're going to be part of as joint heirs of Christ, as those that are going to be around the throne worshiping Him. And so the reason I want to preach this this morning is because I want to encourage you about what the future holds, what God has in store, and the glories and the wonders that we are going to witness. And I want to remind you that the battle, all that's going on, the battle is the Lord's. Just like when David fought Goliath in, in 1 Samuel 17, 47, God told David, the battle's not yours. The battle is God's. The battle is God's. We can trust Him in this. Second Chronicles 20, verse 15. Jehoshaphat, God told him for him to stand still, for the battle is not yours. The battle is the Lord. Uh, in, uh, with Moses in Exodus, when he is about to cross the Red Sea, and he had the, the, uh, the Egyptians behind him, and the Red Sea in front of him, and it seemed as if he were, he were trapped, and, and the, the death was certain. Uh, God made a way, and what did God tell Moses? To stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And folks, I'm here to tell you this morning that as those who have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, as those who have been made new creations, the battle is the Lord's. Yes, it's a spiritual warfare. We are deep into this spiritual warfare. We can trust God through all of this as we faithfully serve Him. The battle is His. And by the way, the war has already been won. We just have a few battles, a few skirmishes to get through. But the battle, the war, has been declared. God wins. We are in Him. We, we win. Heaven is our home. And I want you, to un want you to understand and see clearly the glory that we will be experiencing with the Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of all that transpires during this book of Revelation. Uh, from our position in Christ, seated with Him in the heavenlies, observing all the things we're going to look at that are going on, especially in, in the heavenlies, uh, things that are going to be taking place around the throne. And I just want you to get excited about 
you're going to be there. You're going to be there. You're going to be seeing the, the, the way it describes the Lord Jesus, high and lifted up and, and rightfully adored, the way that it describes the Lord. You're going to be part of that heavenly throne. You're going to be part of those who are gathered there. And I just tell you, get excited now about what God has in store. It is going to be glorious. And realize that everything that takes place, one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible is Revelation chapter 5 when it describes the Lamb of God. And John looks and, and he, 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 they're describing the Lamb of God and he turns and he sees a lion. We're going to read that in just a second. And the impact and the meaning behind that. We're going to be around the throne at that, by that time. The rapture will have already taken place. We're going to see all of that take place with our focus with our focus fixed on the one who alone is worthy of our praise and of our adoration and our worship. So if our focus is going to be on him in the future and in heaven, why not go ahead and turn that focus on him and his goodness and who he is now? Because one day it's going to be all focused on him. The things of this world are only temporary. Only temporary. And we're looking to the things that are eternal in Christ. About nine years ago, I preached a series of, of sermons on Christ of the book. Many of you, I think, were, were here then. How many of you were here when we preached that? Oh, we can do it again. Yeah. Uh, there's still enough of you haven't, because we, we took us 66 weeks, and we went through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and we talked about Christ of the book. We identified him in every book of the Bible. Uh, we, we talked about Hebrews 10, verse 7, that says, in the volume of the book, it is written of me. And so we went to Genesis, and in Genesis, he is the creator. In Exodus, he is the deliverer. In Leviticus, he's lawgiver. And we went through every book of the Bible, Sunday after Sunday, 66 weeks to get through that. But we identified Christ of the book. He is the creator. He is the deliverer. He is the lawgiver. He is sustainer. All the way through, all the way to the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, we find that he is the faithful witness. As actually, in the book of Revelation, it gives so many he is that it's hard to settle on one. He is the faithful witness. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the Alpha and Omega. Revelation 19, 13, it gives us who he is. He is the Word of God. So it just makes sense that every book of the Bible, His Word, we would find the Lord Jesus Christ in that, all the way to Revelation. So we're going to, this morning, I want us to look at that aspect of that old sermon, He is. Hebrews, 9, uh, Hebrews 10, 7, in the volume of the book, it's written of me. In Luke chapter 24, verse 44, And he said unto them, 
These are the words which I spoken to you while I was yet with you, talking to the apostles right before his ascension, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. All of those Old Testament prophets, all of those Old Testament books, they all relate to the Lord Jesus Christ. In John chapter 5, verse 39, the Lord tells them to search the Scriptures. And what's interesting about this word search, it's a special Greek word that has to do with how a hound follows scent, that is so dedicated, that is so focused on that scent that it can, it can track its prey. And so when God's Word tells us to search the Scriptures, it is like a hound dog focused on that which you are searching, hunting for. Search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. In other words, in them you will find the way to eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. All the way through the book, it's about the Lord Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 7, as we've already found, we've already seen, in the volume of the book, it's written about Christ. That's a quote. That's quoted from Psalm 40, verse 7 and 8. Psalm 47 and 8. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me. So the writer of Hebrews, he quotes that scripture. He didn't quote the next scripture, but I think the next scripture is significant there in verse 8. I delight to do thy will, oh my God. Yea, the law is within my heart. In the volume of the book, it's written of me. In the very next verse, it talks about doing the will of God. The purpose of God the Son coming was to do the will of God on earth. Luke 10, or Luke 19, verse 10 tells us why Christ came. To do the will of the Father but to seek and to save that which were lost. So you put all those together, you understand that the purpose of the Lord Jesus Christ, that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And here we, we have the, the purpose of God is to seek and to save that which were lost. God's Word is clear about what His will is. 1 Timothy 2.4 tells us, it's God's will who will have all men to be saved. And since it's God's will that all men be saved, what did He do? He provided a Savior. 2 Peter 3.10 tells us that God is not willing that any should perish. And because He's not willing that any should perish, what did God do? He provides a Savior. In the volume of the book, it's written of me. Who is me? It is the Lord Jesus Christ who is the Savior, who is the one that was willing to step out of the, the glories of heaven to lower himself, even lower than the angels, in order to die for my sin and for your sin. Christ came to restore that relationship that was lost from Genesis to Revelation. From Genesis to Revelation, what we witness, what we see 
is that amazing theme of salvation and deliverance by Almighty God. From Genesis, from Genesis to Revelation, we learn of God's invitation to us to know Him. From Genesis to Revelation, what we have is, depict, is, is Christ depicted as Savior, as Almighty, as Almighty God. God's admonition is that we search the Scriptures. As you search those, you're going to find that it is written about the Lord Jesus Christ. As we search the Scriptures, in Genesis we find that he is called El Shaddai. What does El Shaddai mean? Almighty God. Genesis 17 is when God identifies himself to Abraham as El Shaddai, Almighty God. In Revelation, we find Christ being called the Almighty. See, one of the, one of the main things that I believe shows us the, that the Scripture can be trusted, that the Scriptures are real, that it is the Word of God, is the consistency. From the very beginning in the book of, in, in the book of Genesis, we have paradise lost all the way through. We had kept God's invitation to know him. In Revelation, we have paradise regained. And that we have in between extraordinary measures and lengths that God was going to go in order for us to be reconciled to him through Christ. In Genesis, the curse is pronounced based on the first Adam's rebellion. In Revelation, the curse is removed based on the last Adam's obedience. You see how the Scriptures are so consistent, how the Scriptures just prove themselves over and over to be real, to be faithful, because they're all about the Lord Jesus Christ. In the volume of the book, it's written of me. So it's going to be loving. It's going to be consistent. And God is going to be faithful to his word all the way through. In the book of Revelation, the Son of God is fully described as high and lifted up. And rightfully adored, adorned. And one day, much of what is described in the book of Revelation, we're going to witness. It's going to be history. And around the throne, we're going to be praising, and we're going to be worshiping, and we're going to be glorifying the Lord Jesus in his magnificent presence. Amen? Amen. We're going to be there. We're going to be seeing what we're about to read about. The sights and the sounds are beyond our comprehension right now. But God gives us a hint as we look at Christ of the book. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. In verse 5 of Revelation chapter 1, we have Christ identified as the faithful witness. 
Christ of the book, in the volume of the book it's written of me, and here it declares him to be the faithful witness. Now what's interesting about this, and if you come on Wednesday night, you've already heard, and you'll be hearing more, that the book of Revelation is all about the future. It's John is taken by the Holy Spirit into the day of the Lord. The book of Revelation is all about the day of the Lord, the tribulation period, and then the millennial kingdom and all that's going to transpire during there. And it's John sees visions on earth, he sees visions in heaven, and the things he sees in heaven, because the church has already been raptured, things that he describes, we're going to be there experiencing. And that's exciting. So the book of Revelation is, is those that are still on earth that are going to be going through the tribulation, they're in the middle of the day of the Lord, the nation of Israel, all this is going to apply to them. These Jewish assemblies, these seven Jewish assemblies, all have to do with, uh, with, with Jews and with the, the kingdom church during that time. Verse 5, it, it identifies Christ as the faithful witness. And what's significant about that is because back, back over in, in Isaiah, chapter 55, Isaiah 55, verse 4, it identifies that the Messiah is going to be what? He's going to be the witness. That you're, you're going to know that God's going to send a witness. Behold, I have given him for a witness to the people, a leader and a commander to the people. There in Isaiah 5, it's, it's talking about the Messiah. It's talking about Christ. And so here the book of Revelation, those that are reading it during the tribulation, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the one that, that Isaiah was talking about. Hopefully the bells are going to go off. It should even for us now to identify that God's not going to leave himself without that witness. That is indeed the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead. He is the prince of the kings of the earth. Unto him that loves us and washes us from our sins by his blood. That's who Christ Jesus is. Verse 8. Talk about in the volume of the book it's written of me. Look at verse 8 of chapter 1. Christ is identifying himself here. He says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord which is, which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. That goes back to Abraham and God revealing himself to Abraham as El Shaddai. All ties together, but here Christ says when he comes that he is going to be the Almighty. Verse 7 up there tells us something very interesting. It says, Behold, he comes with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, talking about Israel, the Jews, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. The next verse, he declares himself to be the Almighty. Folks, I got news for you. The world may scoff, the world may ridicule, the world may say there is no God, but one of these days, it is going to be so clear, unfortunately, it's going to be an extremely difficult time for so many. 
But the whole world is going to know he is exactly who he declares himself to be. He is going to show forth that he is the Almighty. Every knee is going to bow to. Every tongue is going to confess to. To the glory of God the Father. So when you see idiotic things like that, that one, Tim, show that. Show this here a while back. You hear people say, if Jesus returns, kill him again. You ever seen that? They got t-shirts now that has that on them. Uh, on it if Jesus returns kill him again see the world mocks the world laughs but I'm going to tell you this the one who's going to have the last word is the word he is the one that's going to have the last word that's why some, look at look at Psalms 2 I didn't give you this one Tim but look at Psalms 2 And that goes along with this, this, the verse that we were just reading. Clam Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, and the Lord which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. And because He is Almighty, Psalm chapter 2, verse 2. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord. Just like that idiot. And that's okay, you can quote me. He's an, the fool has said... In his heart, there is no God. This guy believes, and, and there was a movement there for a while, people saying really dumb things like that. If he comes again, we're going to kill him. We'll kill him again. Hmm. First time he came, lowly and riding on a donkey, and we're going to be talking about that next week as we talk about Palm Sunday. And based on the determinate counsel of God, men took Christ and crucified him. That's not happening the second time he comes. The first time he came to be Savior. The first time he came, he came to die cruelly on a cross and pay the debt of sin that we owe. The second time he comes, folks, it's not going to be riding on a donkey. He's going to be riding a white horse with a sword in his hand. And he is all-powerful, almighty. But Psalm, Psalm 2, The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. Hey, good luck with that. God's still in charge, folks. He that sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. God's going to confuse all their efforts. Man's not going to win. You understand that, right? Satan is not going to win. The enemies of the cross are not going to win. God already has. It is finished. There's a reason he said that. Verse 5, Then shall, then shall he speak unto the them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me thou art my son and this day have I begotten thee verse 9 thou shalt break them with a rod of iron thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel 
Be wise now, therefore, you kings, be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Hey, here's some good advice. Kiss the sun. Embrace the sun. Love the sun. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry and you perish from the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are they that put their trust in him. The world may scoff, the world may do stupid things and make stupid signs, and the world may give thumbs up to people like that, foolish people like that. And there are a lot of them, unfortunately. But i got to tell you, there's coming a day when the whole world, every eye is going to see him. Even those who pierced him. All the kindreds, all the tribes of the earth shall wail because of him. Ezekiel says that the Jews are going to loathe themselves, loathe themselves for their rejection. Chapter 2 of Revelation, verse 23. We find that he is the one who searches the reins and hearts of his people. Verse 23, last part of that verse, I am he which searches the reins or the emotions and the hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. And the bell and whistles that need to go off when when they read this during the tribulation, is that's exactly what Jeremiah told the nation of Israel was going to happen. In Jeremiah 11.20, in Jeremiah 17.10, that that was going, going to happen. He is the one that understands what you're thinking. He is the one that understands what you're feeling. He is the one. He knows your heart. He knows what you're thinking. He is the one that understands the intent of your heart, nothing escapes, nothing escapes his understanding or his awareness of what's going on in our lives. And he's identifying him. He's telling us God loves us so much that he's willing to put those truths in his word and says, here it is. Now, you can continue making excuses for yourself. You can think this is not going to happen, but I guarantee you, not only is it going to happen, God is making himself clear it's going to be their own fault for rejecting it because here it is. And it is so consistent with what God has already said. It just makes sense. Look at chapter 1 of Revelation. Verse 13. I'd like for that guy that was holding up that sign that said, kill him again. I'd like to read this to him. Verse 13, in the midst of the seven candlesticks. You need to come out on Wednesday night in order to find out exactly what these candlesticks are. One like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and a girt about the paps with a golden girdle. And his head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow. 
and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet likened to fine brass as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice was the sound of many waters. One of these days, eventually, if you know the Lord Jesus, you're going to be standing around that throne and you are going to see the Lord just such fashion. You're going to see this. This is describing him. In Daniel chapter 7, it describes him in the same way. In Ezekiel, it describes him in the same way. I guarantee you, when every knee is bowed and every tongue is confessed, no one's going to be holding up a ridiculous sign. No one is going to be scoffing. No one is going to be poking fun. When they stand before His very presence. We stand in that presence loving Him, worshiping Him, grateful to Him, impressed, impressed by who He is. Look at Revelation chapter 4. And I want you to visualize this with me. I don't know if you ever think about heaven. I think about it. hope you do think about heaven. But Revelation chapter 4, I, I want you to visualize this with me. This is depicting the throne of God. Hey, y'all, it's going to be there. What this is pointing out, you will be seeing and experiencing. And after this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was that were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. Remember, John is in the day of the Lord. He is in the tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble, Daniel's 70th week. This, this is, he's experiencing that. When John sees this, we, the rapture has already occurred, and we're there. We're going to see what John is being shown. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. The sardine is kind of a, uh, a red, a red stone. The jasper is kind of a blue-white diamond. So it's, it's describing the one that sat upon the throne. And there was a rainbow round about the throne, in the sight like unto an emerald. Emerald is a light green in color. And around about the throne were twenty-four seats, and upon the seats I saw twenty-four elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And, one of the, and out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass likened to crystal in the midst of the throne and round about the throne there were four zoa full of eyes before and behind. 
And it goes on to describe that. Verse 8, crying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was, which is, which is to come. Again, talking about the fact that He is the Almighty God. What do these Zoa, what do these beasts do? Verse 9, and they give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who lives forever and ever. And the 24 hours fell down before him that sat on the throne. This is God the Father. This is God the Father that sits on that throne. These things are occurring. John is witnessing what's going on in heaven verse 11 they tell god oh thou art worthy o lord to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created those that are around the throne are going to be worshiping they're going to be citing these words they are going to be clarifying exactly who it is that's on the throne. He and he alone is worthy. They're going to be casting their crowns before the throne. And then chapter 5. Wow. What a chapter. What an explanation. We're going to see this occur. We are going to witness it. So expect it. After the rapture, expect this to happen, and we're going to see exactly when it happens. Verse 1, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. Here's the book that was given to Daniel back over in Daniel, Daniel 12. And Daniel was said, Daniel, seal up that book. This is what's going to happen in the latter days. Daniel sealed that book up. Daniel seals that book up. Here's the book. Here is the book. Sealed with seven seals. And what those seals represent, as if, if those seals could, in order to get the tribulation, in order to get the day of the Lord started, those seals, as they are open, the prophecy that's there, that first one is open, and we see events taking place. Then the second seal is open, and events take place. The third seal is open. You have to come on Wednesday night to find out exactly what those mean. The third seal is open. The fourth, fifth, the sixth, the seventh. Each one of those seals, as that book is fully revealed, that is what jumpstart the tribulation, the day of the Lord where the forfeited possession, what was lost in the garden, is regained. That jump starts that. The problem is, who has the authority, who is the one that can, that's worthy to take that book and get it started? Who is the one that has the keys to heaven, or to death and hell who is the one that has the authority to open those seals and get that started look at verse 2 
And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose, their, loose the seals thereof? Hey, things can't proceed unless this book can be opened. And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon to see what it contained, to see what it was all about. Verse 4, And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not. Behold the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. He has prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. The lion of the tribe of Judah. The lion demonstrating authority. The lion demonstrating power. The lion demonstrating royalty. And I beheld, and in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. In other words, they were under his control. He is the one that as that first seal is opened, he is going to say, go, and it's going to start happening. But John, see, the, the angel says, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he's prevailed, he can do it. And John turns, and what does he see? The slaughtered lamb of God. See, it takes two things in order to get those seals opened and underway. Authority and sacrifice. The lion representing the authority. He is king of kings and lord of lords. He is the one that can say, give me that book. And he gets it started. And the only reason he has that authority is because he laid down his life. He took upon himself the sins of the world. What the first Adam lost in the garden because of rebellion, the last Adam won back because of his obedience verse 7 he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne and when he had taken the book the four and twenty uh, the four beasts and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb every one of them having harps and golden vial full of the odors which are the prayers of the saints verse 12 saying with a loud voice Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him 
that sits upon the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him that lives forever and ever. Folks, you are going to witness that. Aren't you? Aren't you? That's the question. I can't wait to see that. I can't wait to be the one to say, I know him. I know him. He's my Savior. He died for me. The issue's settled. He is my Savior. He is the living Word. And the Word of God is without error. God's Word goes on to say that He is righteous and true. He is faithful and true. He is the living Word. And the next time He comes, there will be no doubt. See, you realize that when the rapture takes place and we're gone and we take up our position in the heavenlies, there's going to be doubt. They're going to be coming up with all sorts of excuses of what happened to all those saints at St. Louis Bible Fellowship. Where did they go? Well, they must have been taken away by aliens or something happened to them. Well, maybe they're in concentration. Who knows what the excuses are going to be? When the rapture, when our exit takes place and we're caught up to meet the Lord in the air, there's going to be all sorts of confusion and people are going to be wondering what happened. I know some people are leaving notes inside their house and saying, if you're reading this, I'm gone. Now let me explain to you what's about to happen. Hold on. It's about to get bumpy or something. I don't know, because it is. But when this happens, every eye is going to see him. When the second coming of Christ takes place, every eye is going to be upon him. Every eye is going to see him. When he gets his horse ready and he gets the saints collected in order to come back, we're going to be watching that. We're going to be observing that. We're going to be part of that. That's why I tell people to learn to ride. Learn to ride. Because we're going to be part of that. Aren't you? Aren't you? If you're not, if you don't know, you can't know. By placing your faith and trust in Christ now, today's the day of salvation. Let's pray. Father, how we thank you for your word and how it so clearly demonstrates that you are the Almighty, that you are the one who is worthy. Father, you are the beginning, you are the ending, you are our everything. Father, I thank you for your word and how it helps us, enables us to focus on what's coming, knowing that the war has been won, that we belong to you, that heaven is our home, eternity awaits. Father, it just thrills us to know that these are things that are going to be transpiring, and you allow us not only to witness it then, but you, get, you allow us to see it now. Oh, Father, we thank you for that. Now, Father, I pray that every single person in this building this morning knows you as Savior. Father, their relationship with you has 
been determined based on your promise of eternal life to all who believe that Christ died for their sins, was buried, and rose again. Father, we thank you for that simple but glorious plan of salvation. Father, we come before you this morning. We come acknowledging that it's not based on works that we do or deeds that we perform. Father, may we understand that clearly, but it is based, that offer of salvation is based on the finished work of Christ on Calvary's cross, that you were delivered for our offenses, you were raised again for our justification. And Father, that eternal life, that gift of eternal life is ours when we believe that truth. And I pray that there's not a single person here that rejects that. Father, may none of us put that off, but by faith believe. Oh, Father, how we pray for our lost loved ones, our friends, our relatives. Father, it's just so difficult sometimes. When we see something so clearly, we can't understand why they're so blind to it. Father, remove those blinders. Father, we know that Satan blinds the minds of those that believe not so that they don't, believe, they don't believe the gospel. Father, but God's word, your word tells us that the glorious light of God shines. Father, shine into their minds, shine into their hearts so they'll understand that you are the true God of heaven, your creator, your sustainer, and Father, you desire to be Savior the Redeemer. We pray these things in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen.